Jai Jai Sitchitanya Dai Nityananda Jai Jai Sitchitanya Dai Nityananda Jai Adveta Chandra Jai Gaura Bhakta Vinda Jai Adveta Chandra Jai Gaura Bhakta Vinda So, welcome back. And today we are discussing a continuation from yesterday and trying to provide the uh, Islamic context in which the movement of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was functioning in West Bengal. Um, it's, it's interesting to know just how, how was the division, how many Muslims, how many, uh, how many Hindus were there at the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And that kind of information we don't exactly have because only under the British there was uh, a census where they started to count people and started to sort of figure out what, uh, how the division of, of, uh, of the population was made of the demographics. So all that... Uh, Exactly, we don't know, but we have an idea. And that is what we want to discuss today. Uh, we want to uh, read something from, uh, from uh, again, the book of Joseph O'Connell called Chaitanya Vaishnavism in Bengal. Social Impact and Historical Implications. Joseph O'Connell has passed away some years ago. Um, he was a scholar, uh, Toronto-based, and he was... Uh, he met Srila Prabhupada. Srila Prabhupada, they had very favorable exchanges. Joseph O'Connell has many times showed a quite a, a favorable attitude towards Srila Prabhupada and, uh, and his movement. And it comes out in his writings also. Um, I wanted to uh, read something here from his, uh, his work. Uh, So he writes extensively on this, uh, this topic of uh, the Hindu-Muslim relationship. And I'll start on the, uh, in the book on page 159. Um, it is pertinent to note, however, that 16th century Chaitanya Vaishnava texts, especially the long and informative sacred biographies of Chaitanya, do not report or reflect widespread Muslim proselytization. They do refer to Muslims with some frequency, ordinarily by such names as Yavana, Malecha, or Turka, and there are indications of anxiety over possible violence and harassment against Brahmanas and other Hindus, notably by the threat of forced ritual pollution. But there's no indication that the loss of large numbers of Hindus through Muslim conversion forced or voluntarily was a major concern for pre-colonial Chaitanya Vaishnava authors. Nor does competition with Muslim religious figures, peers, Sufis, ulama, etc. for making disciples appear as a theme in their texts, though it does appear in certain other popular Bengali works especially those by Muslim authors. This point needs stressing because a number of, uh, of scholars have seen in Chaitanya's movement a direct response to the challenge of large-scale Muslim proselytization. SN 1951 includes a number of selections from Bengali Muslim texts indicating competition between protagonists of Muslim and Hindu cults of saints or deities. But these Muslim tales do not refer to Chaitanya Vaishnava specifically, nor interest me, do they often mention formal conversation as a result. 
Anyway, so uh, that was from a footnote. Um, does this mean that Muslim proselytization on a large scale in Bengal had ceased by Chaitanya's time? I argued as much in my PhD thesis many years ago, but I would revise that interpretation somewhat now, countering a challenge of Muslim proselytization still seems not to have been... Uh, oops, been the motivation, nor even a matter for explicit comment for the middle and upper caste Vaishnavas who provided the leadership and patronage for Chaitanya's movement in Western Bengal. It is almost as certain that conversion to Islam among middle to upper caste Hindus in Western Bengal and probably in Bengal as a whole was infrequent in Chaitanya's time. Travel, written communications and ties of family, caste, business and guru networks were well developed among such elite groups who would surely have been aware of any such proselytization and would have complained of it had it affected them, their own kin or jati followers anywhere in Bengal. Occasional incidents of coerced or accidental loss of caste to ritual pollution are mentioned in Chaitanya Vaishnav text as grounds for anxiety. It is true, but these are treated as exceptional. As for challenges and threats, uh, uh, as for challenges and threats directed against the Vaishnavas, their texts are more apt to denounce antagonistic smarta brahmanas and shakta ritualists as pasandis, hypocrites, and subversives, than to criticize Muslims for conversions forced or otherwise. Hmm. Yes, so this is a is a is a very correct analysis. Uh, we see some descriptions of of Muslims at times, and there is some inherent fear in the Chaitanya Charitamrita uh, when uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is traveling by boat uh, from from the from along near Orissa. Uh, then there is uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu is chanting loud, and that is not considered a very good idea because there is some Muslim. A ruler who is not favorable and the boatsman is very very fearful so there is some some elements of, of fear that we can uh, that come to mind but as uh, as we see uh, we don't as, as described by uh, by Joseph O'Connell we don't hear anything about really uh, not a lot about conversions and we do hear about threats to throw water from the pot of a Muslim, which could defile a person's caste. We hear, uh, we hear about uh, Subhuri Rai, and we hear how that had happened to him because Subhuri Rai was a great zamindar, and uh, and it was the case that in his youth, somehow or other. The Nawab was not yet uh, in such a prominent position, and he was under uh, Subhuti Roy, who uh, engaged him. And in the process, one day Subhuti Roy punished him, and he had beaten him even with a whip, and it had left a uh, a mark, a scar. Anyway. Uh, the Nawab was uh, was having only good memories of Subri Rai and felt that he had deserved the punishment. But then later, the Nawab's wife was really upset and uh, saying, "Who did this? Who did this? This person should be killed." And so on. And then finally, finally, the uh, the Nawab, to pacify his wife, agreed to uh, sprinkle water on Subhuti Roy as a punishment from the water pot. And in this way, uh, taking away his caste. You know, Subhuti Roy after that 
left and, and went to Vrindavan. Uh, so um, whatever may be, the point is that, uh, that uh, so there are some incidents, but it was treated very much in Chaitanya Charitamrita. Subhadi Roy on the way went to Banaras, asked what to do, didn't know what to do. Some, uh, some one Brahman had told him to drink hot ghee, another Brahman to drink melted, melted iron he should drink. In other words, uh, that, that seemed not so practical to Subhadi Roy, who. Uh, who decided not to act upon those uh, suggestions and uh, and went to uh, Vrindavan. Uh, and there he became uh, a practicing Vaishnava in Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement. And uh, he was providing uh, for, all the, for all the pilgrims who would come to Vrindavan. Mm. So it is, it is very nice to, to read a little bit like, like here. Uh, and we see that uh, that is how it was. Uh, there were not many conversions. Um, and then, uh, then uh, Joseph O'Connell is pointing out, at least not amongst the uh, educated uh, or more elite Brahminical uh, castes, right? or the leading class, they were quite fixed. They had a fixed social structure and uh, they were not so affected by, uh, um, by the philosophy. Uh, we can read a little bit more and see what else we come across. Um, Well, he also mentions that uh, it, there were also no, no references to, uh, to preachers, to, to peers and, and, and other uh, Muslim preachers who were converting uh, Bengalis. Still, we're seeing that like Bangladesh and uh, East Bengal and also West Bengal. Bangladesh is completely Muslim and practically 10% now is Hindu. It is said that in Bengal, at the census, uh, that is mentioned at the, at the, at the census, um, let me quickly look where that was. Hmm. Uh, so it is said that uh, in 1891, uh, uh, 18 point in Bengal, the British reported 18.1 million uh, Hindus and at the same time 19.6 million Muslims. So practically the same at that time. Right? At that, the, now at the time of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, that was very different. Right? And um, we're reading in the chapter here, uh, said, uh, we're reading that uh, such kind of, uh, of conversion may have been going on more in the more remote areas and reaching out to a less cultured, uh, uh, poor population um, to, uh, um, they took it up, right? they became uh, Muslims, but, uh, and uh, were converted to Islam. Uh, and, uh, but the Muslim elites, right, they very much were remain conscious of their uh, non-Bengali Muslim origins. And that was a big thing. Uh, they would, in their titles, they would refer to their uh, connection uh, with, uh, with the caliphs, with the uh, 
successive authorities in uh, in Baghdad, and uh, uh, just to uh, to 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 establish themselves as uh, real Muslims. So the, the the conversions in the beginning were uh, not very uh, uh, well. They were not very of a very high quality and high caliber, but it was going on. And even if we read in later later works, uh, we uh, we saw that. Uh, that there were, like in the 17th century, 18th century, uh, Sahaja cults existed both amongst uh, amongst the Muslim fakirs as well as the uh, uh, Hindu Sahajas who were uh, who were like dressing up like like women and who were engaging in ritualistic sexual. Uh, practices, seeing like the male and the female representing the divine male and the divine female and, and, and whatnot. So it seems that uh, that is not in the work from, uh, from, uh, from uh, O'Connell, but uh, we discussed that earlier on under the uh, Sahaja descriptions. Um, then I wanted to read from page 164. Sultans in Bengal, accordingly, assumed various titles affirming, affirming their patronage of Islam. Giyas al-Din Iwat Kalji may have been the first ruler of Bengal to secure the acknowledgement of the Khalifa of Baghdad. Uh, as helper of the commander of the faithful. He was in league with him in the cause of Islam. Uh, that's from Yadunat Sarkar uh, is stating this. Uh, the first ruler of Bengal to call himself the, Calif the Caliphate Allah, the vice regent of God, was Jalal al-Din Muhammad Shah, 1414, to 31. Uh, he was the converted son of the Hindu Raja Ganesh. Yes. Uh, the title was retained by Jalal's successor in the restored Ilyas Shahi line and also, but with modification, uh, God's Khalifa by proof and testimony by Hussein Shah. Assumption of the title Khalifa by these later sultans of Bengal is less remarkable since by that time multiple rulers who took that title had sprung up elsewhere in the Muslim world. Even as the influence of such claims to the title declined, the sultans of Bengal further demonstrated their commitment to Islam by founding and endowing mosques, hotels, educational centers, and other inst institutions important to the functioning and diffusion of the Islamic way of life. Several rulers exhibited special reverence for peers and other Muslim saints. Even so, representatives of certain orders of Sufis with primary seats outside Bengal at times acted as political subversives, eliciting punishment not only from the one Hindu king of the period, Raja Ganesh, but from Muslims, sultans as well. Hmm. The typical independent sultan... There are footnotes given with the detail, but I'll skip them now. The typical independent sultan, however, for all his protestation of Islamic zeal as Khalifa of, Khalifa of Bengal, remained symbiotically bound to his non-Muslim subjects as well. Uh, the traditional Islamic guidelines for tolerating non-believers within a state where Muslim rule is summarized in the concept of dhimma, uh, covenant. Eligibility for the dhimma was often limited to non-combatants, as defeated soldiers were customarily given the choice of conversion to Islam or death, or simply death when strategic consideration of passion so dictated. Furthermore, to be considered 
among the al-al-dima, people of the covenant, it is necessary that a community be al-al-kitab, people of a book, i.e. possessor of a revealed scripture, which originally means meant Jews and Christians. Among the main schools of, of Islamic Sharia, only the Hanafi deemed Hindus to be a people of a book, but this was the interpretation that prevailed in India for most of the period of Muslim rule. By terms of the Dima, uh, covenanting non-Muslim subjects agreed to pay tribute, such as jizya, head tax, and karats, land tax, abjure the use of weapons, except from sometimes demeaning restrictions on clothing, housing, and legal rights, show respect to Muslims generally, and obeyed ruler. Hmm. Okay, so we see a little bit here how uh, Muslims would uh, would deal with that. Uh, now, Danny speaks about a little further on the page, 165, the conspicuous presence of Hindus high in the administration, the apparent wealth of some Hindus and and merchants might seem to compromise the requirements that dhimmis not commend Muslims and that dhimmis be singled out by marks of inferiority. Huh? Scattered reports of traveling give various impressions of Hindu-Muslim uh, decorum. Huh? Scattered reports of travelers give varying impressions of Hindu-Muslim decorum. Uh, Barbosa, on the one hand, writes of the disrespect meted out to Hindus and their mean uh, acceptance of such indignities, while Chinese visitors and others report less demeaning behavior. Uh, moreover, while, uh, while Hindus seem, to, seem not to have been much involved in the military in Western Bengal, they were more prominently involved further east and north. Indeed, Hindus constituted the bulk of the River Rhine naval forces commanded by the Mirza Natan during the Mughal campaigns to pacify Assam early in the 17th century. Hindu naval forces were also crucial to the Mughal pacification of Eastern Bengal. Yes, yeah, so definitely there are such uh, connections and, and we know that, uh, for example, between in Western India uh, between Aurangzeb and Jaipur, there was such a connection that Jaipur uh, had become connected under Akbar and then later under Aurangzeb that also continued. And, and uh, for generations, the Jaipur Hindus were fighting for the Muslim emperor to defend their position against Muslim intruders from... Uh, from Afghanistan, and, and in this way, holding, holding the the Mughal rule and uh, and so on. Um, we leave that all for what it is. Uh, it is said that uh, in Bengal, the the tax, uh, the tax was uh, was not really imposed. It wasn't really imposed. One standard element of the Dima government is jizya, the head tax of a tribute levied on the dhimmis, uh, the non-believers. But even in northern India, jizya was collected only sporadically. In Bengal, under the Turkish rulers, there was no imposition of jizya on non-Muslims, writes Abdul Rahim. Abdul Karim, so historians, also reports... Uh, that no jizya or sakat, a charitable text of Muslims, is known to have been imposed by the later Muslim sultans of Bengal. Um, the Kazi, uh, Bengal Kaji, was the uh, Muslim official responsible for enforcing whatever dhimma or Kazi dhimma regarding Hindu behavior was in place in Bengal in Chaitanya's time. The recurring disagreements with Kazis mentioned in Chaitanya Vaishnav text suggest that there may have been no uniform standard for just how the Hindus were expected to deport themselves in public, at least in a town like Navadvip, 
when there was a heavy concentration, where there was a heavy concentration of Brahmanas. The typical resolution of such disagreement, at least as the Vaishnav text presented in favor of the Vaishnavas, further suggested in Chaitanya's lifetime, a relatively relaxed and tolerant policy was in force. Navadvip Vaishnavas, buoyed up by the Chaitanya's presence and probably relying on support from the court at Gore, seemed to have encountered very minimal restrictions on public religious demonstrations by devotees, but only after defying a more restrictive local ban, that there was in fact no subversive political agenda behind the Chaitanya Vaishnav demonstration, as, as their well-placed spokesman at the Sultan's court could readily attest very likely contribute to, to so to such leaning lenience. Mm. So um, I think it's interesting information uh, because we read about the Kazis and we read about Chand Kazi and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, uh, who is the Kazi is not getting so active uh, in that particular. Case, but what happens is the uh, uh, the local smartas they're complaining about all this chanting and about uh, uh, and they and by upon their complaints then the kazi takes action and breaks the madanga now so Shrivas tells them there can be none uh, no more kirtan and then we see that big protest march where apparently millions of people were partaking in enormous kirtan with uh, tens and thousands of merdangas and many torches that were so bright as described like daylight and everyone was just joining and all, and all going to the marching of the house of the Kazi and they even burned down some things in the garden. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, kept the crowd from getting too violent and then there was a personal meeting and a discussion with the Kazi and... Uh, the Kazi was uh, reminding Chaitanya Mahaprabhu that there was actually an old family relationship, like an uncle, he was like his uncle, so why did he come with so in, in such an angry mood to the house of his uncle? And uh, anyway, the discussion began, there was a discussion on, uh, on cow killing and how that was uh, for, forbidden and... Uh, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu uh, speaks out uh, against such activities. Then the uh, then what happens is the, the Kazi is revealing that he had a dream of Lord Nasringadev, who sat on his chest and who put his nails on his heart and said that if he would stop the Sangata movement, that he would rip out his heart. And uh, and he shows the scars to Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So the Kazi is not in the mood to stop the Sankirtan movement. And the Kazi is, uh, um, it is also said that ordinances who would go and try to stop the Kirtan before this meeting, so Muslims who had tried to stop the Kirtan, um, they had felt that flames had burnt their face and so on, and their face were blistered. So uh, the Kazi uh, was very afraid to, to try and stop the Sankirtan and the Kazi uh, formally promised that no one shoots in his, no one in his kingdom nor anyone in his family in generations to come should stop the Sankirtan movement. And apparently even up to the day of today that still exists in uh, in. <laughs> in the Navadvip area. Mm -hmm. So, like that, we are uh, seeing some the interactions described with the Chandkazi uh, in Chaitanya Bhagavat and in Chaitanya Charitamrita. So, that is, is uh, significant and, uh, and interesting. Uh, but otherwise, there was some level of coexisting. Of, uh, of communities and uh, as we learn now the conversion was more happening in, 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 in lower class community and uh, more towards the east and, and south and border areas and uh, amongst uh, um, 
low-class people and tribal people, low-caste people and tribal people. Mm. Then we're going to read a bit more about Hussein Shah. Uh, Hussein Shah, he was the ruler uh, during Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's time. Uh, and of course, his son also, because Hussein Shah ruled from 1493 to 1519. Um, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu did go to that area, as we recall, and we discussed it yesterday. He came through there with a whole group of men. We discussed a bit uh, how the minister uh, of the... Uh, uh, of the uh, one minister, a Hindu minister, uh, who was uh, minimizing the crowd that came with Chaitanya Mahaprabhu because he wanted to protect him just in case the Kazi might do, uh, the, the Nawab might do something inappropriate. So the Nawab wasn't just uh, a friendly person, but he was also uh, still uh, relatively tolerant of the Hindu culture because he used the Hindus in so many ways. Uh, uh, this, this concept of the dhimmi, of the non-Muslims who had to be in an inferior position, um, that, certain, that, didn't, uh, that didn't hold so much. Uh, one of the problem was that um, in, in apparently, in Islamic tradition, uh, it, it happened only too regular that a, uh, a minister, a Muslim minister, would kill his Muslim master and take over the position as the ruler. And therefore, in India, it, it appears that Hindu ministers were popular. Uh, because it, uh, they, it was more safe for the ruler. Uh, yeah, in the light of that, you know, it's then not surprising that Rupa and Sanatan were uh, enlisted in the Muslim government. The uh, Bhakti Ratnakara mentions that Rupa and Sanatan were forced uh, forced to accept this government service against their will. But the Nawab had threatened that he would kill the entire Brahmana community uh, in Bengal, in, and uh, in particular, you know, like Rupin Sanatan stayed in a Brahmin village and uh, their family originally hailed from Karnataka, so they were Karnataka Brahmanas and uh, prior to that from a Saraswat origin, so along the Saraswati River. And that the, uh, there was a whole community of still Karnataka Brahmanas. Is, um, there was a particular branch of the, of the family a few generations back. There was some, some dispute over land and the whole community had apparently moved and uh, had settled ultimately in, uh, in Bengal, now in Bangladesh, right? And there we find the birthplace of Rupa and Sanatan, and, uh, which uh, can be uh, visited um, today, and it's very nice. Um, anyway, so uh, Hussein Shah, mm. The composite image of Hussein Shah that emerges from Chaitanya Maha, Chaitanya's biographies and Vaishnava hagiography is that of a powerful ruler of uncontested legitimacy, a guarantor of the personal safety and within limits the religious freedom of Vaishnavas, a man acquainted with spiritual disciplines and alleged to have confided to friends his respect for Chaitanya, even devotional faith in him, according to some writers, beyond what his position allowed him to express openly. This image, apart from its specifically Vaishnav element, is consistent with the general impression of Hussein Shah's treatment of non-Muslims shared by a number of medieval Bengali authors 
and modern historians. R.C. Mazumdar, however, has countered this view uh, by alleging the evil reputation of Hussein Shah for intolerance, a contention which puzzlingly he bases in part on Chaitanya Vaishnav materials. Roque Raman Kabir, for one, has rejected Mazumdar's interpretation quite justifiably. It is difficult to take seriously Dr. Mazumdar's conclusion that the Hindus had to live in perfect, perpetual dread of the religious bigotry and intolerance of the Muslims even during the rule of Hussein Shah. From my reading of Chaitanya Vaishnav text, I would differ from Kabir only by noting that according to Vaishnav text, Hindus in Bengal uh, did continue to experience residual anxiety over Muslim rulers and warriors due to their reputedly violent nature rather than to religious bigotry as such and observers observed caution in dealing with them. Moreover, even that residual anxiety, at least on the part of Chaitanya Vaishnavas appears to have been lessened during the stable and relative, relatively tolerant reigns of Hussein Shah and his son Nasir al-Din Nusrat Shah. Uh, uh, we saw that uh, uh, Hussein Shah was ruling from 1593 to 1519 and then his son Nasir al-Din Nusrat Shah too. Um, that's then pretty much covers the uh, the life span of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Hmm. Yeah, uh, there is there is much more in the chapter uh, because he takes it also what happened after, uh, how it continued, I uh, how the Mughals in Bengal became uh, established and how uh, even. Uh, but I will not enter into that now, uh, although it affects Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement, because uh, mm -hmm. Akbar came to Bengal. And of course, well, Akbar is such a personality. Uh, we, uh, we see him as being uh, quite favorable towards Vaishnavism and... Uh, we see some uh, uh, covert connection, and and therefore we don't see that uh, uh, that there will be any uh, any 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 uh, any difficulty at that time. It it was uh, quite favorable uh, under Aurangzeb. Everything, of course, changed. Um, okay. Uh, now, one important point in the chapter of, uh, of uh, Joseph O'Connell's book on page 173, three, Chaitanya's associates and the Hussein Shai regime. Um, several of Chaitanya's close and prominent disciples were substantially involved in landholding and collection of revenue in conjunction with the Hussein Shah regime and were employed at the court of Hussein Shah and likely of his immediate predecessors and successor. Chaitanya and several of his major vice of associates were patronized by lay devotees who were simply involved with the regime. For instance, two brothers of the Kayast administrative caste, Hiranya and Govardhan Majundar, were regarded a great as great devotees and patrons of the Chaitanya Vaishnavas. They were in charge of revenue collection at Saptagram, the leading port in western Bengal, located a few miles down the Bhagirati Hooghly River from Navadvip. Um, they're reported to have incurred the wrath of the Muslim, of a Muslim who they had supplanted in his lucrative position, but managed to survive his, uh, his harassment. Yeah, of course, uh, you know, Raghunath Das was uh, uh, the son and nephew of these two personalities. So, uh, and we know that in Chaitanya Charitamrita, it is described that there was one dispute, one Muslim, uh, both Hiranya and uh, and 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 Govinda Majundar were uh, arrested by a. An influential Muslim leader, and Raghunadas went there and negotiated and called him his uncle and 
and, and, and touch the heart of the man and then you know uh, and then uh, he said we've lived so long together in our village and basically we have this relationship and finally uh, Raghunadas was sent to uh, to explain that like you know the uh, they had not given the Muslim his due share Hiranya and Govardhan whereas in a family relationship they should have also cared for their brother and Raghunadas should go and speak with them and he did and then it was arranged, the settlement was made, and the Muslim was paid his share, and Hiranya and Govardhan were released. And in this way, Raghunath does show to be very expert at, uh, at these kind of things. Mm. Uh. So among the Vaishnavas, they patronized were Chaitanya himself, his father Jagannath Mishra, and his maternal grandfather Nilambar Chakravarti, who is said to have regarded the two Kiyastas as his brothers, though he himself was a Brahmana. And that's there in Chaitanya Charitamrita. The Venerable Advaita Charya's prayers are said to have prompted Krishna to descend as Chaitanya was a special object of their patronage, in recognition of which he introduced Raghunadas, Govardhan's son, to Chaitanya. The son, unwilling to submit to the worldly demands of a householder and revenue collector, subsequently left home to join Chaitanya. He was sent back once, but later was allowed to become a Vaishnava ascetic and poet. Raghunath does eventually gained renown as one of the celebrated six Goswamis. Um, I'll skip a little bit. Another rich disciple and patron of Chaitanya and his Vaishnava Zavaija, medical class named Sivananda Sain, at one time the Zamindar of Kumarhata and probably of Kanchrapara. Govardhan sought his intervention in the effort to dissuade his son from Vaishnava renunciation. Sivananda is best known for organization and financing annual pilgrimages of Vaishnava from Bengal to Purinarisa to see Chaitanya and Jagannath deity. He hailed from Kulinagram, a town from which a number of Hindus used to go to Gore to serve at the royal court of Uttara. Also mentioned returning to Chaitanya, we find that his second marriage was to the daughter of the Brahmana Sanatan Misra, a royal pundit, a Raj pundit, presumably in the employ of Hussein Shah. Budimantekan, a landholder and collector of revenue in the vicinity of Navadri, financed the wedding and he also financed devotional uh, festivals for Vaishnavas in Navadri. This is the Budi Mantekanu patron, nice Ananda Bhatta, author of the Bhagavad Charita, a book on social issues stressing the position of Kriyastas as second to Brahmanas in a world that is allegedly devoid of Kshatriyas. Hmm. So Nichananda, who had been renounced, it said for, for Nichananda, then I read again. For Nichananda's marriage, too, there was a wealthy Zaminder in the background ready to finance the celebration of Krishna, son of Harihoda, a Brahmana Zaminder of Burgachi, north of Navadip. Both father and son are remembered as devotees. Another Zaminder associated with Nichananda's family is the pious Kamalakar Pippalai, paternal grandfather of Nichananda's daughter-in-law. Haridas reports that the grandson of Kamalarka, uh, one Raji Valochan, received a grant of land from the Mughal governor of Dhaka. Such a transaction might appear 
anachronistic, but would not be impossible. A greater strain on the Hintorius credulity is placed by the uh, popular legend that Nietzsche son, Virabhadra, received from the Muslim ruler a black stone that wept miraculously. From which stone, it is said, were made several images of Krishna. More prosaic evidence of the good favor of the Nichananda family with the Muslim rulers is, is an extant document guaranteeing the family's possession of lands at Kardaha, north of Calcutta. A disciple of Chaitanya noted for his intense prema bhakti despite uh, external trappings of health and pomp, presumably gained through cooperation with the Husei Cha regime, was Pundarik Vijanidi, hmm. a brahmana with residences both in Navadvip and near Chittagong, the port town in distant southeastern Bengal. Uh, two brothers who, like Vijanidi, combined loving devotion with wealth, Sanatana and Rupa, came from a family of South Indian uh, Karnat brahmanas who had migrated to Bengal a few generations earlier. The family had a seat at Ramkeli, near the capital of Gore, and ec extensive holdings of land in eastern Bengal. Sanatan and Rupa were for, for a time chief minister or department at Sakkar Malik and private secretary Dabrikas Fuhusain Shah. They and their nephew Jiva were among the most prolific of the six Goswamis of Vindavan. The brothers resigned from Hussein's service to dedicate themselves to full-time devotional service but also in protest against anticipated violence to brahmanas, devotees, and deities in a profound military campaign in Orissa. Um, then we get a description. Other Chaitanya Vaishnavas employed at the court in Goda included Mukunda Das, a Vaija from Shikanda, friend of Chaitanya, and private physician to Hussein Shah. Okay. And then Bukundadas says, younger brother, Narahari Sharkar, was one of the most influential poets and gurus of Chaitanya's uh, generation. Although a Vaija by Kas, Narahari had a number of Brahmanas among his disciples, an indication perhaps of his mundane as well spiritual influence. Okay, let's read a little bit about Mukunda since we just keep on reading from this mundane book. Uh, but it provides us history, and he's referring back to Chaitanya Charitamrita and so on. And, uh, of course, being an erudite scholar and being very well informed, I think uh, Joseph O'Connell is providing us with really good information. And uh, I'm, I'm quite uh, happy with the book. Uh, So, Shichitanya Mahaprabhu then turned his attention to three persons, Mukundadas, Raghunandan, and Sri Narahari, inhabitants of the place called Srikanda. So, uh, Mukunda then, uh, and Raghunanda. Shichitanya Mahaprabhu, the son of Mother Sachi, next asked Mukundadas, you are the father and your son is Raghunandan, is that so? Or is Srila Raghunandan your father and you are his son? Please let me know the facts so that my doubts will go away. Mukunda replied, Raghunandan is my father and I am his son. That is my decision. All of us have attained devotion to Krishna due to Raghunandan. Therefore, in my mind, he is my father. Here Mukunda does give this proper decision. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu confirmed it, saying, Yes, it is correct. One who awakens devotion to Krishna is certainly the spiritual master. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu became very happy just to speak the glories of his devotees. Indeed, when he spoke of their glories, it was as if he had five faces. We may recall that story that uh, Mukunda had uh, deities which he was worshipping, and Mukunda had to go and travel, and then he asked his son to do the offering to the deities. And the son did, as, uh, the mother cooked. And then each day, well, then, then the Mukunda came, uh, no, Raghunandan went on the altar, made the offering, 
came back and the deity had not eaten. So he chastised the deity, said, what is going on? We've cooked so nicely, you put it here and you've not finished your plate. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm giving you like uh, 10 minutes and you better finish your plate or else. And I, I'll be back, you know. And he came and the plate was completely clean. And uh, from that time on, for the rest of the week, the deity was eating everything. There were no remnants. And when the mother asked, where are the remnants? And Raghunam said, no, there are no remnants. He didn't leave any remnants. He ate everything. So the mother didn't believe that, of course, and complained to the father. And the father chastised the son, but the son said, no, 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 no. And cried in tears, no, no, he's really eating everything. Then the father started to think, maybe it's true. So then Mukunda said that, oh, he was very tired from traveling. So if the next day Raghunandan could continue the puja, and then after that he would resume. And then, uh, and then when Raghunandan was making the offering, Mukunda was peeking, peeking behind the, the curtain. And Mukunda saw the deity coming off the altar. And then the deity saw Mukunda. Then quickly the deity went back on the altar. So therefore, uh, this situation, who is the son, who is the father? Raghunandan is the father because he brought a level of Krishna consciousness which wasn't there. And then his brother, as we heard from Joseph O'Connell, is Narahari. Uh, uh, I didn't know that, that Narahari Sharka was Mukunda's brother. But uh, we saw here, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then turned his attention to three persons, Mukundas, Raghunandan, and Sri Narahari, uh, inhabitants of the place called Sri Kanda. Hmm. So that also, that's Narahari Sharka became the, uh, the big leader in the, of the Sri Kanda community, and Raghunandan uh, is... is known to be closely connected with him. Um, so then, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then informed all his devotees, please hear about Mukunda's love of Godhead. It is very deep and pure love and can only be compared to purified gold. Mukunda does externally appears to be a royal physician engaged in governmental service, but internally has a deep love for Krishna who can understand his love. One day, Mukundadas, the royal physician, was seated with the Muslim king on a high platform and was telling the king about medical treatment. While the king and Mukundadas were conversing, a servant brought a fan made of peacock feathers to shade the king's head from the sun. Consequently, he held the fan above the king's head. Just by seeing the peacock-feathered fan, Mukundadas became absorbed in ecstatic love of God and fell from the high platform onto the ground. The king, fearing that the royal physician had been killed, personally descended and brought him to consciousness. When the king asked Mukunda, where is it paining you? Mukunda replied, I'm not very much pained. The king then inquired, Mukunda, why did you fall down? Mukunda replied, my dear king, I have a disease like epilepsy. Being extraordinarily intelligent, the king could understand the whole affair. In his estimation, Mukunda was a most uncommon, exalted, liberated personality. Uh, because the king... Uh, the king figured it out. The king is like, could see that, like, you know, but you fainted when you saw the peacock feather. And then the king made the connection that he was a devotee of Krishna and that actually it was due to uh, devotional ecstasy. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu con continues. Raghunandan is constantly engaged in serving Lord Krishna in the temple. Besides the entrance of the temple is a lake, and on its bank is a kadamba tree, which daily delivers two flowers to be used for Krishna's service. Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu again spoke to Mukunda with sweet words. Your duty is to earn both <sighs> material and spiritual wealth. Hmm. Anyway, so that was a little bit about Mukunda as a devotee and also as Mukunda, as the royal uh, physician. Uh, and uh, 
Let's see. Yeah, so then there are other persons mentioned. Uh, Subudi Rai is, is mentioned. Uh, and uh, I mentioned a story about the scar and about the wife wanting. And then another person who is mentioned is Maladar Vasu or Gunaraj Khan, a Kayasta of Kulinagran and author of Sri Krishna Vijay. And he was probably a revenue officer of uh, Rukin al-Din Barbak Shah from 1455 to 76, a predecessor of Hussein Shah. And Chaitanya appreciated Maladar's poems, showered affections, kin and Satyaraj Khan, who also received his title from Rukdin Aldin Babaksha and Ramananda Vas, who both noted devotees. Chaitanya is also reported. And they are the residents of Kulina Gran who would bring every year the ropes that were being used for uh, pulling the, uh, the Rath cart. And they were the ones that inquired from Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and asked him, what is the real purpose of life? And Chaitanya Mahaprabhu said, the goal of life is Vaishnav Sevanya Niranta Krishna Sankirtan, servant of the Vaishnavas and always chanting the holy name. But who is the Vaishnava? The devotees asked, Satyaraj Khan asked. And Chaitanya said, one who chants Hare Krishna once. The next year, same incident, same questions, and this time, who is a Vaishnava? One who always chants Hare Krishna. And the third year, same question, same situation. Uh, one who makes others chant Hare Krishna simply by his presence. And in that way, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu established Kanista, Madhyam, and Uttama Adhikari Vaishnavas. And, uh, but, so we see Satyaraj Khan is, a, is an intimate associate and devotee of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, and he wrote this, uh, this book. Uh, uh, his, uh, so, Kunaraj Khan wrote the book. So there is, like, a lot of, uh, of, of that. Mm, let's see, anybody else? Uh, Yeah, Subhananda Rai, pious Vaishnav men of influence, said to have been on friendly terms with the then ruler, uh, a predecessor of Hussein. His son was also pious and influential. We are told that his grandsons, Jagannath and Madhava, Jagai and Madai, were lecherous drinkers who abused their considerable power and influence and molested vulnerable people. Hmm. Ramachandra Khan is mentioned as an officer of the Hussein Shah stationed Chhatrabok on the border of Bengal, Orissa, responsible for securing safe conduct for Chaitanyan Rutupuri uh, during a period of hostility between the two kingdoms. Chaitanya himself avoided, uh, though not always successfully, di direct meetings with the Hindu ruler of Orissa Prataparuda, just that he avoided meeting Hussein Shah near Gore. He even Yeah, so the point is that uh, many of the Hindus then around the Nawab Hussein Shah had a connection with Chaitanya. And uh, in this way, having that connection with Lord Chaitanya, they were, um, yes, they were Vaishnavas. Rupa and Sanatan lived in Ramakali, and they kept uh, many manuscripts there. And obviously, uh, their position as Muslim, uh, as influential Muslim rulers, uh, were uh, was uh, giving them the opportunity to collect so many scriptures and and manuscripts and to build up uh, libraries right for that purpose, and that was all fine. That was all going on and. Uh, we see that when Sanatan Goswami uh, wanted to give up his service, that the Nawab was quite uh, disturbed, he said, because he said, you know, to Sanatan Goswami, he said he considered him, treated him like his brother. 
And he said, your elder brother is very busy with conquering uh, different territories and so on. And he relies on you to run the government in, in the local home affairs. So in this way, uh, Sanatan Goswami was not only uh, very powerful and influ uh, influential, he was also having an intimate relationship with the Nala. Um, although at that stage, Sanatan Goswami didn't want to continue anymore. Uh, still, we see that, Sanat that this whole Dima uh, or Dimi idea, uh, a non-Muslim should be in a subordinate position was not so prominent in Bengal because Sanatan Goswami was basically the regent for entire Bengal under the Nawab and was uh, in that way uh, also governing uh, the Muslim population. Hmm. And therefore, for all practical purposes, externally, Sanatan Goswami and Rupa Goswami were dressed like Muslims and would just be in the royal court, uh, appearing as if they were Muslims. They were very learned in Arabic and Farsi. That's particularly mentioned about Sanatan Goswami. So in this way, we have learned something about uh, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's movement in an Islamic environment. And I thank you very much for being with us today. Hare Krishna.